Amen. You can have a seat. Appreciate Neil filling in sort of at last minute for Matt Corso, who's sick. So it's great that Neil can do that for us and really adds a lot to our service when, uh, when he can fill in like that. Today, I want us to think about one of the most important questions that the early followers of Jesus had to deal with. And the question is, who is this guy, Jesus, and what is he all about? Now, they were seeing some pretty crazy things, like they heard him talk about these parables and who God is, what the kingdom of God is like. They saw him perform miracles, even raise someone from the dead. And the question is, what does all this mean? How are we to interpret all this so that we know what this guy is all about? Now, you had that going on, and so some people said, well, maybe he's the Messiah, right? He's the one that the prophets had pointed to for all these centuries, and he's fulfilling this great dream of Israel that we're going to throw off Roman oppression, and we're going to have our own people, our own land once again. And then other people said, the fact that he can do these things Seems to me this says that he is the son of God. He's got a connection with God that no one else has. Now, some people got disappointed because Jesus didn't raise up an army. He didn't march on Jerusalem. In fact, he was killed. But then he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And more and more people were drawn to him because of those events. But the question still is, who is Jesus? Now, one of the great interpreters of that question is the Apostle Paul. Now, the truth is, we've been interpreting that question for 2,000 years. In new cultures where the, the gospel goes, where people don't know who Jesus is, we have to think through how do we describe Jesus to these people. But I don't think anybody's done it better than Paul. And that's one of the reasons that we're in this 50-day journey leading us up to Easter Sunday that I've called 50 Days with Paul. Because of the unique ways that Paul addresses the question, things like, who is God? Who is Jesus? How do we live for this Jesus? All these things are going on in Paul's writings and we need to hear them. You know, it's one of those questions that, you know, how do we know who Jesus is by looking in Scripture? And there are key places to answer that question. And today we're going to come to, I think, one of the most important ones. And because of that, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. So I'm excited to get there. And we're going to get there in a few minutes. But first, I want you to think about this. Have you ever gotten to know someone like either through email, texting, or on the phone before you ever saw them? Okay, now, I know that's a little harder to do nowadays because we stalk people on Facebook and Instagram and all that. But before that happened, okay, you had this mental image because of those conversations, the way they sound, and then you finally meet them. And like they look totally different than what you expected, right? I mean, it's sort of a weird realization. Or you listen to someone on the radio, maybe on the way to work, and you hear them give you the news or introduce songs. All that's going on. And you have there's this picture in your head of what they look like. And then you finally see them on TV interviewed, or there's a picture of them in some magazine. And they have the audacity to look different than you thought they did. And it's like you don't know them anymore, right? Well, in sort of a similar way, at least, we can develop an idea, maybe it's not a mental picture, but, but an idea of who God is by thinking sometimes about stuff that God says in the Bible, stuff that God does in the Bible, but at other times because of what we decide we think God should be like, right? I, I think God should be like, I believe God is this, and people say that to me at times, I believe God's this, and I'm thinking, 
that ain't in here, okay? Because that's not well the way God describes himself. Or we sort of, we like ourselves, so we sort of think God should be like us, so we paint God in our own image. And the question for us as Christians many times over is, how can we know more about who God actually is? I mean, that's a big question, right? That's an important question for us. How can I get to know who God actually is? How do we do that? Well, again today, I want us to look at a passage that I think takes us in that direction, helps us answer that question. And to do that, we're going to turn to Colossians 1 in just a minute. Now, as we think about Paul dealing with big questions like, how do we get to know who God is? And who is Jesus? What we find is that Paul is sort of doing theology. And theology is just sort of a fancy word for what we know about God and a life of following God. What does the Bible say about God? All that. We find that Paul is doing theology in the trenches. And here's what I mean by that. Not so much just fighting a war, but the everyday living it out among actual people, right? Paul is not just an academic sitting in an office at a university somewhere writing these treatises about who he thinks God is. Paul is in there with actual Christians. He's writing to people who are under duress. Right? They're, they're following Jesus in the ancient world. They're a tiny minority. There are places in the empire where persecution is beginning to flare up. Like it's not from Rome across the whole empire yet. It will be later, but it's not there yet. But they're facing persecution in local areas. And there are times when Gentiles would face that. J Jews at times, and they became Christians. Their family, their friends, their synagogue would withdraw from them. And say, we're going to have nothing to do. We won't even speak your name again because you've decided to follow Jesus. Paul is writing to people who are experiencing all of that. And Paul is writing to churches, some that he had visited, some not, where they've heard the message of Jesus, they've believed in Jesus, and then someone has come in and taught them some kind of crazy stuff that Paul's got to deal with. He's doing theology in the trenches to answer real questions that real people have, which is good because we're real people who have real questions too, and sometimes Paul's answers speak right to us 20 centuries later. Now, the problem that Paul's dealing with in Colossians is this. He'd never been there, okay? He, he, he didn't found that church. One of his disciples went from where he was, maybe in Ephesus, to a nearby town where this man was from, Tychicus, and he's, he goes, or Epaphras, excuse me, he goes to Colossae, he founds this church on what he's learned from Paul. But it isn't long before some other teachers come in and say, okay, yeah, being a Christian, that's great, important, Jesus is good, we love Jesus, but if you really want to get to know God, what you need are the special practices that only we can teach you, okay? And we've got insight into these ancient Jewish spiritual practices, ancient even for them, where you have to sort of observe certain practices, certain festivals, certain things you do by the day, all the eat certain foods, all this stuff. And if you do that, then you'll really get to know God. But if, if you don't follow us and do that, you're always going to be lacking. And when Paul heard that they were being taught this stuff, his immediate response is, that's completely wrong. 
There is no truth in that. And here's the reason. And the reason is very simple. Jesus always will be, is now, enough. Jesus is always enough. And Paul takes that answer, sort of a seemingly simple answer to a tough question, and then he begins to develop it. And because he did that, we have five verses in Colossians chapter 1. I guess that's actually six verses. Six verses in Colossians 1 that teach us important truths about the nature of Jesus that are vital for us understanding who Jesus is. And those six verses are what I want to talk to you about this morning. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament. So it begins in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is what Paul says. The Son, he's talking about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, he starts out and he's already loaded, right? So Jesus is the, in Greek, icon, where we get our word icon from. An icon is an image pointing to something else, right? So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We don't see God, okay? We see the way God works. We see him evident in creation, but we don't see God. So if you want to see God, look at Jesus, because Jesus is the image of this God that we can't see. Jesus is the way that God has chosen to express himself most clearly. So if you want to see God, look at Jesus. He says he's the image of the invisible God, but he's also the firstborn over all creation. Now, if you read that at first, you might think, okay, so is he saying that Jesus is the first thing that God created? Well, no. Okay, and that, he makes that super clear in the rest of the passage, but I don't want us to get caught up on it now. Because many times in the ancient world, they used the term firstborn not as just the one who was born first, like you have five kids, this is the firstborn, but firstborn meaning the most important. And you notice it's not firstborn of creation or a part of creation, but over creation. Jesus is not created. He stands above and beyond creation. Now, Paul makes that clear as we go on. Verse 16, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is so clear here, right? Jesus was standing at creation with God. If we go all the way back, all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In that verse, Jesus is standing right there. In him, all things were created, whether you're talking about the mundane things of earth, the stars in the sky, the sun itself, whatever you can think of, Jesus was right there involved in the process of creation. So he was not created, he was actually involved in creating. So everything that surrounds us is created by Jesus. In him, all things were created. And note at the end, all things have been created through him, not only through him, but for him. Paul is saying the whole of the universe was created for the benefit of Jesus himself. 
And as I think about that, man, it begins to make sense. Because why would Jesus want to come down and be among us and redeem us and all creation from the sin we've committed? Because we were made for him. We're part of him. And so he wants us to be made right. Jesus is right there at the very beginning and continues on with us. Verse 18, or verse 17, excuse me. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus stands before everything that's created. But that next part of that verse, Paul's saying, listen, it's not just that Jesus was there, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created. Yes, he was there. Yes, he was involved in creation. In fact, creation was for him. But even beyond that, we have this image of like the whole universe being held in the arms of Jesus. And the reason that it doesn't just fly apart and fall apart is because Jesus is sustaining it and holding it together. It's a picture of a cosmic Christ, right? Beyond our comprehension, who is holding all things together. Paul is painting as high a picture of who Jesus is as he possibly can. Now why? Remember, theology done in the trenches. He's reminding these people, somebody's going to come along and say, you need something more. There's these special practices we've got. There's a feast day you need to observe if you eat this special food. And Paul's saying, listen, no. No. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is the reason we're standing here. Jesus was involved in creation. Jesus is holding our lives together. That's the person we're talking about here. And then verse 18. And he is the head of the church, head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Two things he says there. First of all, let's talk about the church. He says, not only is he Lord over all creation... He's Lord over the community that he's created, his body, the church. Yes, Jesus walked on the earth. He had a physical body that died, was raised from the dead, okay, and ascended into heaven. But his body now is us. We are the ones doing his work. Now, he's the head. He's directing, animating. He's the one leading us, but we are the body. We are the ones at work in the world for Jesus. And then he says he's the firstborn from the dead. Now, we know from Scripture that Jesus raised a couple other people. We look in the Old Testament, it's very rare, but we see some other people raised from the dead. So how is Jesus the firstborn, the, the first fruits of the dead, first fruits of the resurrection? Because Jesus is different from all those other stories. Every one of those other people died again. Lazarus, he was raised from the dead, but he still died again. Jesus was raised from the dead... But he does not die again. And, and his resurrection points forward to us being raised from the dead at the end of time. When we're not going to die again. His resurrection is different from every other one in scripture. And because of that, it's sort of a promise, a down payment on what is yet to come. That there is going to be resurrection from the dead that leads into eternity when Jesus returns. And then these great words that we find in verse 19. This is powerful. For God was pleased to have all his 
fullness dwell in him. Now let's pause right there. Paul is telling us that everything that is at work in who God is, everything about God, his complete fullness was present in Jesus walking the earth. So if you want to know who God is, you've got to look to Jesus. Because he's going to give you the clearest and most complete picture of who God is in all the Bible. Now, there, there are scriptures all the way from Genesis to Revelation that tell us some things about God. Right? We open with creation that certainly speaks to the nature of God. We see the way that God interacted with these early humans and chose for himself a people and brought them out of slavery and gave them a way of relating to him. All those stories. And it goes all the way to Revelation when we see Jesus returning and heaven and earth coming together. All the stuff happening. But there is no clearer revelation of the nature of God than the fullness of God at work in this human being, Jesus. So no, you don't need anything else. Whatever someone comes along and tells you, okay, well, if you really want to know God, you need this. Paul's answer, which should be our answer, is, you know what? No, I don't. Because we've got Jesus. And in him, all the fullness of God was made clear. And then he finishes with verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Paul begins with everything is made by him, with him present, for him. He's the first over it all. And he redeems it all through his blood shed on the cross. So God himself, the one who is both fully God and fully human, goes to the cross to bring all things back to God. Now it began there, but it won't be fulfilled till Jesus returns. But as we think about this whole passage, six of the most important verses in the whole New Testament, if you want to think about who is Jesus, right here is the place to look. What does it teach us? What is, what is Paul trying to show us? He's trying to say Jesus points to God. If we're trying to answer the questions, who is Jesus? If we're trying to answer the question, how can we possibly get to know this God who exists better than we know him now? The answer is always going to be, Jesus is pointing us to God because he is God. Paul's making it clear. It's not that Jesus just sort of looked around on all of humanity and all of history and says, you know what? I need a messenger and the best guy I can find is this guy. Lived during the Roman Empire in Judea and Galilee, and I'm going to choose him. Because of all the rest, he's the best. That is not the story. The story is Jesus was present in creation, present holding creation altogether, chose to come and be among us with the fullness of God present in him, and to reconcile all things back to God through his death on a cross. Jesus is pointing us through every one of those things back to God. So if you want to get to know God, start with Jesus. Now that gives us some responsibilities and some ways that I think we can get to know God that are biblical. And the first is 
Study the story of Jesus, right? Study the life of Jesus. Read those stories. And yes, we're 50 days in Paul right now leading up to Easter. And there's a lot of things that he tells us about Jesus. And we should study them. But there's really never a substitute for going back to those stories that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So over and over, we come back to the Gospels. Because the Gospels tell us the story of Jesus, and Paul is so clear, Jesus is pointing us to God. So come back to those stories. If you haven't read them for a while, read them again. And even if you have, keep studying them, because over and over they will point us to who God is. Second. Form your view of God through the lens of Jesus. Now again, we can create God in all kinds of ways, and human beings have done just that over the centuries. We've done just that at times. I want God to be this. I want God to tell me that what I'm doing right now is fine, okay? Because I don't really want to change. And it seems like maybe the Bible tells me I should change something about my life, but I don't believe that God would do that, so I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. If we look at Jesus, what does that story tell us? Are we creating God in our own image or in the image of something that we want? Or are we looking to the one who had the fullness of God at work in him? So if we want to understand God, we need to keep reading those stories. And then finally, there's a response. Allow your view of God to lead you to worship. And I think you should. I mean, as we experience this God who through Jesus and with Jesus created all things that are, holds it together, offers us new life, reconciliation of all things back to God, the response is worship. Now, Paul would say the response is certainly worship and it's living a life that's serving God. And we're going to cover some of that as we keep going through this 50 days. But to me, the immediate response is this God deserves my worship. And that worship is more than just an hour in here on Sunday morning. That's where this gets out in the Christian life. It's serving him every day and doing what he's called us to do and treating our families the way they should be treated according to Scripture and our friends and doing our work and talking to people who don't know Jesus. All those things are there. It's all worship. But if we get nothing else, remember this one truth. Jesus points us to God. And if you want to get to know God, start with Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that you're the God that you are. And we want to spend our lives and eternity getting to know you. And so, God, we come back to you over and over and repent of the ways that we've tried to recreate you in some image that is more pleasing to us than who you are. God, show us who you are by showing us Jesus over and over and over again. And when we see you, God, we're going to worship. We pray it in Jesus' name, the name that is above every name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.